Welcome back to the True Transformation Podcast. My name is Josiah Novak, and today's episode is all about our favorite topic on earth, paying taxes. Everybody loves paying taxes, right? I'm not the only one. (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. Taxes is probably the worst topic on planet earth. And fortunately for us, we have someone who knows everything there is to know about taxes, the tax code, how to avoid paying too many taxes, too much in taxes, what to do to master taxes and all the things that comes with it. As a small business owner and someone who is a part of a growing business, taxes becomes a real pain in the butt as you start to level up and make more money. So I know we're a fitness podcast, but hey, part of being fit is taking care of all parts of life. And oftentimes we avoid taxes just like we avoid our health and fitness. And so I wanted to have one of my close friends, Ron Caruthers, on the podcast who happens to be a tax expert and also a really cool dude. He's from California and uh, just has a really good vibe about him. He was kind enough to come on our show today and spend almost over an hour of his very precious time during crazy tax season and explain to not only myself, but our you know amazing listeners like yourself, how to set up a process and system for understanding taxes and avoiding overpaying and also taking it off your plate and making sure that you're not stressed out about it, which I know a lot of you listening probably have at least experienced at some point or another some stress from the burden that is taxes. So if you are a business owner, if you're someone who is growing a business, or if you're someone who has a side hustle, which by the way, you should have a side hustle. If you don't have a side hustle, this will be really good information for you to know ahead of time. And if you are thinking about or know someone who has a business or side hustle, share this podcast with them because even if they have everything dotted, I's dotted, T's crossed when it comes to taxes, they can still pick up a nugget or two from Ron. So without further ado, let me introduce our good friend and tax expert, Ron Caruthers. Hey, before we jump into this amazing discussion about taxes, let me just help you with your nutrition really quickly. I have a special, special opportunity from our good friends over at ButcherBox. ButcherBox is my go-to resource for high-quality protein, meats, seafood, you name it. If you are struggling to find the time to hit the grocery store and pick up high-quality meat, or maybe you're having trouble finding high-quality meat, ButcherBox will come to the rescue. All you have to do is go to butcherbox.com forward slash true, that's T-R-U-E, and use code true at checkout. And they're going to hook you up with a couple of things. Number one, chicken nuggets for an entire year. Yes, chicken nuggets for an entire year for you and your kids, because I know my kids love chicken nuggets and Chick-fil-A is right across the street. The last thing I want to do is be going through the drive-thru every other day to fix their chicken nugget addiction. I would rather just cook some up at home in the air fryer or in the oven. takes a couple minutes and then we're rocking and rolling. And you'll get them for free if you go to butcherbox.com forward slash true. You're also going to get 10% off your first box with ButcherBox. I actually work personally with the CEO and founder of ButcherBox. His name's Mike, and he's a client of mine, and he's taking care of us. So make sure we go to butcherbox.com forward slash true today and check them out. Pick up your first box of high-quality meats, protein, seafood, you name it. They got it. Go check them out. Let's jump into today's conversation about taxes. Ron, we finally did it, man. We finally (laughs) did it. Finally. You know, there's this thing called resistance. And uh, when you're trying to do something good, 
resistance likes to come up and prevent it from happening. And I've, I've allowed this. Yeah, it was my choice because I take ownership, but I was, I was allowing resistance to get in the way of this amazing podcast we're about to do about taxes for so long. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe because it's about taxes, you were secretly. <laughs> like, well, I'm reframing it. Instead of saying taxes, I'm, I'm saying wealth creation, which sounds there we go. a whole heck of a lot better. And taxes get in the way. So that's what we're going to chat about, right? <laughs> Thousand percent. And I know we have a massive amount of people listening. Well, I would say, unless you're a psychopath, you probably don't love taxes. Um, maybe you love working with them and you love like finagling and moving things around. But I think I speak for the majority of people when I say taxes is like a, a curse word in, in most people's homes. Unless you're a politician and then you love other people paying taxes. And then this is correct. And, <laughs> and we, but politicians aren't people. Sorry. I just pissed off. Everybody. There you go. <laughs> I don't think you pissed off anybody. <laughs> so yeah, dude, I, as a, I still call myself a new business owner because I'm friends with a lot of people who are you know, very well seasoned, very well experienced, been in business of some sort for, you know, 20, 30 years. I've only been full-time, only my business for about six years now. Now I've been in business longer than that, but you know, when you flip the switch to say, Hey, all I'm going to do is work for myself, not work with anybody else, work for anyone else. It's just for me. I still feel like I'm a little, a little new to that game. And with that comes a lack of experience around managing cash flow, managing taxes, all that stuff. So I've been a fan of your stuff for a long time on Twitter. Mostly uh, we connected uh, a while back with, with your show, I believe. And uh, now I want to make sure my listeners get access to all the knowledge, all the things, at least from a surface level standpoint that we can start to, to lay out a ground, a ground floor for people like me who need, need help. <laughs> well, and, and you know what, you make a really good point, which is you're a few years into this. And the number one job when you're trying to get a business going is create revenue. That's it. Get revenue and try to be profitable. And so, but as the business matures, just like we've chatted about this, the number one expense that you will have from this point out, because your kids will eventually leave home. Hopefully I knocked on wood for you. Mine are gone. <laughs> And um, they'll eventually leave home, be off the payroll. You won't be supporting them anymore, but taxes don't go away. And even in retirement, because we do some of the management side as well, we see a lot of people who were led to believe that taxes would drop in retirement. And they really, for if you're successful, they're not going to. Mm -hmm. So getting a handle around that, especially knowing that the tax laws were written 100% for the self-employed individual or business owner, there's a lot that you can take advantage of and a lot of money that's being left on the table that you can bring back into your business without selling anymore, without, you know, having to hire more staff, without having to bump your other numbers. We're just decreasing these numbers. So Got it. that's kind of my opening rant to get everything started here. No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I think, you know, uh, I've realized over the past, probably I would say two, two years is probably the time frame where, you know, the first few years is a struggle. You're barely making a profit if you're making a profit at all. Um, yep. You're just trying to figure out what am I going to do? What is this going to look like? And then you find something that you're like, this is, this is what it's going to look like. We figured it out. Yep. We have proof of concept. Money starts to come in and sometimes money comes in fast. Not a bad problem to have, of course. Great. But when money comes in fast. I don't know about the people you work with, but I see money start to go out fast. 
<laughs> everyone I work with, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> that's everyone pretty much. Yeah. And so then, where do we start with this? Like where, where from like a foundational standpoint, do we need to begin with, with creating a, a wealth creation plan that does include obviously making sure taxes don't bite us in the butt? Okay. So I think the first place, let's start with the basics. And by the way, I meant to say this right up front, just so I, I give you mad credit because I told you this, I get three, four, 500 emails a day. And your email is the only email that I consistently read every single day. And I read your April Fool's email before I'd had enough coffee. <laughs> and where and any of you guys who didn't see it just has like, you know what? I'm selling the business. I'm going to go be, you know, and it was like, oh, dang, no wonder he's been so busy. And then I got to the, I'm going to play second base for the Chicago Cubs. And I'm like, oh, you fooled me. <laughs> yeah, hey, like, what's the date again? Oh my God, I'm so dumb. I need more coffee. <laughs> but well, anyway. I appreciate you. You've told me that and it never gets old hearing that because no, man, it's writing so writing emails is incredible, man. I, I It's my favorite thing I do in the morning is I sit down and I write an email. So the fact that at least I got one person opening it. <laughs> there you go. Hey, it's man, amazing. You get your mom, we get your mom on the mailing list. She'll have two. Yes, I get two. And then although, my kids can read. <laughs> although does my mom listen to my podcast? No, she doesn't. <laughs> I don't. I, I know my mom will dabble with my podcast because she'll mention a guest here and there. I don't know if she listens to every single one or if she, if she read all my emails, I'd be shocked. She did read one email where I mentioned her in a story, actually. And I got okay. a text. She was like, that story wasn't perfectly accurate. You need to double check your facts. I was like, oh, <laughs> mom, it's you read my license. emails. Creative license, mom. Yeah, well, I think if my mom listened to my podcast, I'd have my mouth washed out with soap anyway. So. Yes. Yeah, same here. So the starting point here, here's the first thing. Um, understanding that the tax code is 79,000 pages long. I think it's actually up to like 81, but I just stopped counting. So yeah, there'll be fact checkers. They'll be like, well, you know, the actual thing is only 5,000 pages. Right. But there's 74,000 pages of addendums and additions. And it changes multiple times per year. So the very first thing that you have to understand is you're going to either want to, as your business grows, and I'm not saying this to be self-serving. If you love this stuff and you want to read it and you can't get enough, there's a couple of really good subscriptions that I can recommend that are cheap where they'll keep you updated on the basics. Bradford Tax is one of them. You can just look up the Bradford Tax Institute. He'll give you seven or eight articles every month for like 20 bucks where he'll just keep you apprised to what's happening. But then the next thing that you need to understand is the difference between marginal and effective tax rates. And most people, because I ask this question for everybody that comes through the door, and it is, do you know the difference between marginal and effective tax rates? And if you grew up in the United States, odds are, and you're over 30, odds are you actually had that explained to you when you were in a civics class, but you slept through it because you didn't care, just like I slept through it, because I didn't care. When you're an adult, then it becomes a big deal. And basically, this is the way to think of it effective is your average tax rate of all of your taxes, but we have a progressive tax system. And all that means in English is once you get to your taxable number, so you can take some credits and some deductions. And as a business owner, you have all kinds of write-offs that you're probably not maximizing. And then we get down to that net number. Then what happens is 
you turn around and your first money will always be taxed at 10% under the current system. Then 12, then you jump to 22, then 24, then another jump to 32, 35, and ultimately it caps out at 37. So they say, but actually it goes higher than that because they tack on some things on the back end kind of hidden in there. So the reason that I bring this up is if you just look at the effective tax rate, it might show you that you're averaging 12% or 13%, but the reality is your marginal rate may be 22 or 24. So any tax planning that you do is going to benefit you 22 or 24 cents on the dollar plus whatever the state you're in gets on top of that. It's not going to benefit you on the average. So just understanding that piece. And look, politicians love to talk about the rich and they don't pay their fair share. The truth is the top 1% of income earners. And yes, there's the odd you know, billionaire who has losses, who doesn't pay taxes for a year or two. But really, those guys pay 37%. They pay collectively over $1 trillion every year they are covering. And if those guys got mad and left the country, we would be in a lot of trouble revenue-wise. Mm-hmm. And the bottom half pay of income, which is people making less than 50%, pay less than 3% of the total taxes. So again, as a business owner, you tend to move up into the higher salary rankings once your business gets successful. So you need to understand that starting out. Did that make sense? At all, just I'm counting on you to like, <laughs> you know, no, jump it, in and be like, hey, you went a little fast there, or whatever. So, I'm yeah, like, it's making tons of sense, tons of sense. Yeah, I think uh, that was so that was actually a conversation we had uh, not that long ago, right? Where you broke this down for me in, in a nice, you know, visual and, and obviously just what you did explaining it. But uh, it's it now that I've heard it twice from you and, and I've started to dig into it, it does make a ton of sense, an absolute ton of sense. Yeah. And for you newbies, just go back and listen to this piece again. And again, just look at your returns and generally right up front, there will be like if, if you get the entire package from your accountant, generally there's going to be a summary sheet there that will say, here is your marginal rate. Here is your effective rate. And so, again, understanding that any tax planning that you do comes off at the marginal rate, as well as, you know, those of us that live, I live in California, if you live New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California, Hawaii, those are some of the, you know, the five highest tax states in the union. So we can go up to like 16% on top of that. That's nice. Oh, it is. But we have really nice weather and, you know... (laughs) Surfing is free, and we have tacos down in San Diego. So you know, we put up with a lot of. I mean, that's me, right? Every I, I can see the ocean from my house. I'm like eight blocks in, but you can just stand on my porch and look at the ocean. You can't quite see the waves, but I can see little sailboats. And I'm like, God, these politicians are all insane, and I'm paying a lot of taxes. Man, that's a nice sailboat. I'm gonna go get some. <laughs> tacos i'll be out of here <laughs> well i guess we'll stay another year well virginia has a nice little state tax too so we're yeah virginia we don't get the ocean views here but we definitely get this, the taxes man you guys get screwed you got to move out to california everybody else is leaving. Yes. you gotta you gotta come out and help us out real estate's so, getting opening up out there yeah a lot of people are leaving it's about to come yeah so so that's the first thing understanding where you're at and understanding your income once you get into those higher brackets, 
you can make $40,000, $50,000 more, but your taxes can immediately double because of the way you're moving up the staircase to the higher brackets. And if you're paying yourself a salary or running quarterlies, that won't necessarily keep up with it. So that's one thing to understand. The next thing to understand is there is a huge difference in the tax world between compliance, which is backwards looking. So right now we're recording this a couple of weeks before the tax deadline. In fact, the tax deadline is literally two weeks from today for most of, most of you guys. California, because of the disasters, you know, we got an extension from both the federal and state out till October. You can file an extension, if, particularly if you're a business owner, a lot of us do. But um, there is a huge difference between the compliance, which is when you actually sit down and square up with the government okay, you guys owe me or I owe you, and tax planning, which is where you're sitting down and forward looking at the numbers and going through a checklist of strategies that you can implement to legally, morally, and ethically lower your taxes to the lowest amount possible. And again, with a business in particular, and by the way, for those of you that don't have a business, yes, there's absolutely things that you can do as well. But but the, the laws were built for that. There's more that you can do if you have a business, even if you just have a side hustle or a little home gig or something like that, or consulting, you open up the universe of those tax credits mm -hmm. and deductions and things that you can do. So if you're sitting here as a W-2 listening to this and you're like, look, man, I got this and my wife works, or I got this and my husband works. There's no rule that says you can't do something else that you would enjoy a handful of hours a month and now open up those deductions yourself and eat. And the trick is now you can spend money that you were already spending that becomes a leg legitimate deduction goes against your W2 income. And now you pay less taxes. Yep. So the tax and, and here's the other kind of myth here, Josiah is most people think, well, my CPA has me covered. And if there was stuff, I would, you know, I could be doing, they would tell me about it. And the reality is I teach classes for CPAs um, to show them how to lower taxes because the CPA exam focuses very minimally on tax planning and preparation. It focuses way more on gap accounting procedures and auditing procedures because most CPAs were at that degree, which is a hell of a hard degree to get. And mad respect to anybody who, who has it, but it is predominantly focused for you to go into a corporate environment and to do corporate auditing or gap accounting or shareholders reports or audited financials. It's not designed, but a lot of those guys get burned out. Then they want to go into private practice, but they never really learned the how to save on taxes piece. So don't necessarily assume that your CPA has you covered on that. And if they're not proactively sitting down with you to be like, tax season is a mess. It's hard to do planning then. But afterwards, let's sit down and look at your numbers once or twice and let's go proactive. That's what you really want because those meetings will save you a ton of money. Or again, look it up yourself and do the research if you enjoy it. But just know that there is a small fortune. And if you're operating on 20 or 30% margins, this is another way of improving your margins without having to actually sell more. Got it. That makes tons of sense.
proactively speaking, right? So if we're if we're sitting down with our, you know, like if I'm working with you, what is a really good proactive ongoing system look like, right? So you talked about a meeting on a regular basis, right? But from a business owner standpoint, what are some of the things to have in place? Maybe it's certain accounting software or like just checkpoints each quarter. What are some things that need to be in place? And then we can obviously, we'll talk about write-offs, obviously, because I know that's everyone. Oh, yeah, that's a hot button, right? Ooh, well, I get to- let, me, let me back up before I answer that. And let me give you one other thing here, which is entity. Let's talk real briefly about entity structure. Because yeah. the other thing that I see online a lot is like, you need to go get you an LLC and you need to do this and go take out these loans. Like, no, don't do any of that. Test your ideas first as a sole proprietorship. So meaning a sole proprietorship is the simplest thing because you're the business, the business is you. You can turn around and take that. And if you're using your name in the business, you do not have to file a fictitious business statement. So, you know, if you wanted to call your new business starting out, Novak, you know, true transformation, your name's in it. We don't have to file a fictitious business statement. We can just go get clients. That's the number one thing to do is get some clients. And the only exception to that that I would give you is if you're in a business where you're likely to get sued. So if I was going to open up a pizza parlor with 12 teenage drivers that are going to be delivering my pizzas and they're doing it domino style. So they have to be there in 30 minutes or less. I don't even know if domino still does that anymore. I don't know. <laughs> There's no freaking way that I'm going to do that under my name because the odds are that one of them is going to be high on legal weed while texting and plow it into somebody, you know, is it a hundred percent, but it's close. So I'm going to, I'm going to start with a corporation there, but everything else, where you don't have that kind of level of liability. If I'm a medical doctor, same thing, where people love to sue doctors. You know, if I was in that space, great. I'm going to have a corporation day one. But everything else, I'm going to te- I'm going to recommend, I recommend to all my clients, let's just test it. Let's get profitable. Then let's go, once we're profitable and we're making money, then you want to move into an S corporation. Now, LLCs are like the vanilla ice cream. You, They're just... It's a separate entity. Then you have to tell them how you want it taxed. So you can do an LLC that's taxed as an S corporation, or you can do an LLC, or you can just do an S corporation. Sorry. The reason for that is when you're a sole proprietorship, all of your income that flows through is subject to self-employment tax, which is an additional 16% on top of you know, the 12, 22, 24, 32, plus whatever the state gets you for. So you can be at a tax bracket overall where you're paying 55% of what you make, right? It, it's it's criminal. Yeah. But that's a conversation for another day and we're not tax protesters because I'm too pretty for prison and I have no <laughs> interest in going. And, you know, look, man, I struggle sometimes with fitness goals. Prison would get those all worked out out of nothing. Oh yeah. I got all the tattoos. I can, I'm ready. I got all the tattoos. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I did like one night in jail and it was the most boring thing in my life, man. Nobody, nobody tried to shake me. Nobody sold me drugs. Nobody would give me a tattoo. Next time, next time. I hope so. (laughs) Um, So anyway, now you're going, you're, you're having to pay that extra 16% on everything up to 140,000. And they're talking about increasing it to fix social security. Cause that's what it's, that's where it's going and making that higher and higher. 
So when you're losing money or just starting out, you're not making any money. So it doesn't make any difference. And there's no point taking the time to incorporate yet. But once we know you're profitable and the idea works, then we can go get an S corporation or an LLC filing as an S corporation, because now we can break it down to where, hey, if you're making 100000 we can make 40 or 50 of its salary. And on that piece, you're paying the self-employment tax. But on the other 50 or 60, it's just flowing through and we're not paying it. And then once you get over a consistent, call it, let's call it 500 to a million in sales, depending on your margins, then generally what we recommend is we bolt on a management company that's a C corporation, because now we can offset the year, meaning a sole proprietor and an S corp will always, in a partnership will always be January 1 to December 31st, where a C corp, we can move that year around. And now we can begin to like push earnings into another year legally, all sorts of things that we can't do with just the S corp. So understand that there is a progression there that makes sense that again, you want to be getting advice on or researching yourself. So you're not overpaying. And I'll give you a perfect example. One of my buddies is a pool contractor and he's killing it. He did like 600,000 in sales last year, but it's only a second full year in business. Well, he paid an extra 21,000 in taxes because all of it hit his return as self-employment. So now he was in yesterday to drop some off. We're like, dude, we need to get you the S-Corp like tomorrow. So he's like, well, I need you to explain to me how to do it. Great. Can't do it today. Just come back after the tax deadline. We'll get you guys in. I'll walk you through exactly how to do it. It's not a big deal. You can usually do it on LegalZoom or NOLO or something, or an internet site can do it for you unless... You have multiple partners where, you know, that isn't just you and your wife or you and your husband or something like that. Then you want to get a real attorney involved to, to carve out shares. And if this guy wants to leave, what do we do? But so just know that there's, there's a pr progression there that you want to be following. That leads into, did that make sense, Josiah? Yes, because that's exactly what happened to me. I started out as a sole proprietor and then I moved into an LLC mistakenly just an LLC was, was paying uh, the self-employment tax on everything, right. Yeah. Which hurt in a way that I can't only just, I can describe to you cause you understand the pain. But when I realized the money I could have saved, it hurt. And so I said, all right, S corp, it is being, so now we're an LLC filing as an S corp. That's it. And it saved a lot of money. I will, I will just say that. Yeah. And S corp, think about it again, an LLC, my, my comment is it's like the vanilla ice cream of, um, you know, the corporate world. And I will give you my background as at 15 years old, I was head ice cream maker of Swenson's ice cream factory, the, the, uh, La Mirada location. You may not know that. Dude, um, we are very similar. I was an ice cream maker for a restaurant called Lulu's and Virginia Beach. That was one of my first jobs ever. And I was really good at the whipped cream topping. I will just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was okay. The ice cream maker was just super boring. So Swenson's yes. was, hey, do you guys have, did you grow up with Swenson's out there? No, never even heard of it. Okay, dude. So Swenson's is out of San Francisco. The original one is still on Hyde right next to like Lombard Street. So if you guys are going down that crookedest street in the world, like two blocks down Hyde, it starts at, Lombard starts at Hyde. You go like three blocks south and the original Swenson's is still there, but I think it's the only one left. Mm. They franchised this and it was like an old time, we'd wear the old time hats 
and the striped shirts and you would sit down and get sundaes or burgers and then they had a you know scoop counter where you could get scoops and walk away and then they had a glass booth in the back where it wasn't quite as cool as being a dj but you you would make the ice cream in there and the little kids could come up and press their nose against the glass and lick the glass and stuff like that and why i'm saying an llc is the vanilla ice cream because when you go in there, vanilla is the base for a lot of their ice creams, right? So you make you make the vanilla ice cream so they can put it in Sundays. Then you add strawberries to it, and now it's strawberry. You take the same stuff, you add caramel and fudge and walnuts, and it's caramel fudge walnut. With an LLC, it's amorphous. So if you don't do anything, generally it becomes a disregarded entity. So it gives you some legal protection, but on your tax return, it's as if you never did it. Until you tell them, I want this taxed as a partnership or an S-Corp or C-Corp, and then you make that election with the IRS and assume that they're going to take it because it'll take them a year to get back to you. Sure. And even the fine print says, just act like we did it, you're fine. And people get in trouble because they're like, oh, I never heard back from them. What am I supposed to do? So that's your little tip there. Yeah, that happened to me too. We never heard back, and uh, I still filed as as is my the, the accounting yeah. firm I was working with at the time. Just said, "Don't worry about it." Five years from now, you'll get back. Yeah. Oh, hey man, we accept it. We accept. It. <laughs> I'm like, By the cool. way, if any of you guys listening to this, like, if you haven't gotten your refund for the last couple of years, you are not alone. They're so screwed up. You know, we kind of laughed when they were going to hire the eighty-seven thousand, you know, gun-toting IRS agents. Um. Because we're like, yeah, of course they are. But really, they need some people in there to answer the phones. And it looks like they're doing a little bit of a better job. We'll see. But there's a movie now, called Everything Everywhere All at Once. I have not seen that. And I heard it was great. So if I you're into taxes, it's really funny because Jamie Lee Curtis plays an auditor. Love her. But it's like she's the ultimate like if you're having nightmares of ever being audited, she's in your nightmares for sure. <laughs> like that's she plays it. That's why she won, you know, best supporting actress at the Oscars. But she uh, she plays a phenomenal, scary, nasty auditor. And it's just like you're watching as a business owner. You're like, <sighs> like I was like, I was like hyperventilating in the theater. Like, how, oh, God, this is like my worst nightmare. But it's just funny because that's like, it, it's probably not anything like that in real life, the way she acts, but it's just, it was hilarious. You know, I will tell you before we jump into kind of how do you tax plan? This is a great, this kind of leads into a great point, which is, do I, do I need to be scared of an audit? So, because we let people like, oh, I don't want to take that deduction because I'm scared they might audit me. So, so let's cover that. And then we'll actually go back to the question you asked me like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I didn't forget it, man. We just I, I forgot it. the question already. <laughs> Dude, we're taking the scenic route there. All right, man, I'm driving. This is a good topic to though. Beach. I'll I'm tell you, this trees. is auditors, auditors and like what, you know, what to worry about, what to not worry about. Um, obviously hire Ron. You don't have to worry about anything, right? Like you'll just take care of it. Look, if you guys want to chat, definitely reach out. <laughs> Um, and we're happy to chat and we will be like really straight because we'll, what we'll do is generally chat. We'll look at what you're doing. You can vouch for this. I'm like, Hey, send me what you're doing. And then I'm like, all right, let's look at it and see what you're missing. So just like a good pilot, I have a checklist and I'm like, Nope, we missed that. We missed that. We missed that. All right. Hey man, I think we can do some good work here. Back to auditing right now. Currently the normie audit rate is 0.8% of any given year. That means eight returns, no business out of a thousand are going to get audited. 
Now, those numbers skew at both ends of the income spectrum. So for all the governments talk about, we're going to go after the rich people who they like to go after is poor people that are abusing the earned income tax credit. And look, as much as I hate them, and well, and, and love hate them, because eminently the IRS is a reasonable organization with reasonable procedures that you can actually most of the time well, let's not get carried away. Let's go half the time. You can reason with them and they are eminently reasonable. Well, I'll just say this real quick. I'm, like, I'm not going to interrupt you more. I promise. I, I'm no, sorry. don't go right ahead. Dude, it's your podcast. I'm like just hanging out. I will just say, because I know they're listening. They're listening everywhere. <laughs> I've I've had a few conversations with the IRS and I will just say, I don't know. I forget the names of the people. I forget their agent number and all that cool stuff. Some of the nicest people I've ever talked to. The mini- I'm not just saying that. They're super the nice easy to, to deal with. I- I can tell you that the minute you're nice to them, usually there was actually a play back in the 70s that I think I saw called Love, Sex, and the IRS. Have you ever heard of this one? No. Okay, so I'll I'll tell you the premise. Oh, it's hilarious. But basically what it was is a guy living in New York City has a roommate named Leslie. It's a guy that he's been claiming on his tax returns, married, filing jointly, and now the IRS is coming to audit him. And hilarity ensues, right? He's got to get Leslie to put a dress on. Oh, you know, boy. Obviously, this was not a politically correct play. <laughs> I was going to say they're canceled. Yeah. So, so they're trying to get the guy, to get the IRS guy drunk, and they're you know trying to hide uh, and shenanigans go through. And at the very end, the IRS guy goes, "Look, you can take the dress and the wig off." And they're like. You know, he goes, there's no audit. You know, I'm returning it back. You're fine. You don't owe any money. And you tell him to take the dress off and the wig off. And they're like, but, but, but we lied to you on our returns. He's like, yeah, but you're the only people that have ever been nice to me. (laughs) So that's really true. If you're, I've had people going from reading me their badge number and my name is Miss Jones and I am badge number 423779. And what is your problem today, Mr. Carruthers? And I'd be like, well, look, my client kind of effed up and they owe some money. And look, man, we're just trying to work it out. They don't have it right now. And I've had them go to like Southern Draw, like, baby, I'm going to take care of you. Yes. We're going to do this. Like, seriously, like, I'm yeah. going to do this, but I'm going to push this through right now. Your client's fine. So that they can do that. Yeah. Um, Back to the audit. So on a normal year, if you're not at the super low end or the super high end, your, your audit rate is about eight tenths of a percent. Right now, currently, it goes to about 1.2 the minute you introduce a business. So they will say things like, oh, your audit rate doubles or it goes up 50%. Well, yes, but it's going from eight returns out of a thousand to 12 or even 20 out of a thousand. Now they're looking to get that number up to like 30 or 40 out of a thousand. But even so, you still have a 960 out of a thousand chance that they won't audit you. Now, when, so it's not necessarily something that you need to be terrified of. Secondly, a lot of audits are paper audits now. And what that means in English is simply the IRS is going to reach out and rather than kicking your door down with guns drawn, which they, they have revenue officers that do that. By the way, just how I got into this whole deal was when I was like 22 in business, um, I had a little tiny company. My friends referred this accountant down by the border. 
Joe, oh, I can't think of his last name right now. Anyway, he was a tax fraud. He was a tax protester. He would absolutely make stuff up. And he just ended up getting like audited. I mean, where agents kicked his door down, held the assistance at gunpoint, held him at gunpoint, backed out all the, the files and every single client that he did got audited. But he was doing stuff that sounded really good, but there was absolutely no basis in the tax code. And that got me to be like 22 or 23. And I'm like, man, I got to go back to tax school. I want to learn this stuff because I know there's a right way to do it. And so, and if you're doing it the right way, then you don't have to worry if you are audited because odds are, A, it's a paper audit, meaning you're just going to send them some forms to like, hey, your mileage deduction looks high. Can you show us how you got that? By the way, that is the number one test. If you're taking a mileage deduction, the number one test to see if your, your records are good or not is when they ask for your mileage log. So if you guys aren't doing that, start keeping a more accurate mileage log. It'll take you one minute a day. Hey, I went here, here, and here. Here's the mileage. Here's my starting mileage, ending mileage. So you can slide it across the table at them and be like, pick a date, help yourself. Everything's in here. And that generally gets them to back down. So your odds of getting audited are very slim. And if you're taking the deductions that you're legally entitled to and documenting them, and even if they're not documented good right now, then start now. And if we've had cases where they've audited for a year that we were just coming on board, so our clients' records were a mess, but we got them tightened down and cleaned up, we could be like, look, sir, ma'am, you know, client was a train wreck, but we got them tied down. We've got their things documented. So it was the same business. Let me show you this year and you can see how it correlates to last year. And again, they are a reasonable organization most of the time. They'll be like, all right, yeah, that sounds good. You, you yeah. got it. Now back to the original question. So don't be scared of an audit necessarily. You want well, just to recap on that because I know legally entitled to. Yes, the, sir. The, from a business owner who you know, I mean, the word audit is once again a curse word. It's like oh god, right? So from a reasonable because you know, obviously as business owners we have a thousand things to track. At least we try to off offload as much as we can. We try to empower people to do things for us, right? But. When you look at, let's just walk through like a, a general day in the life. You say, okay, you know, my mileage, that's easy to track. There's apps on your phone. Totally. You know, you can, you can do that. It's simple. And if you, and here's the other thing too, that I personally do, I go to the same places every day, like Monday through Friday. Right. So it's the same mileage. It's the same place. I do it for work. And then I, I my routine is like literally the same every week. So in reality, my mileage is the same every day, almost. Right. I might go here and there, I might go to like a restaurant for a lunch or whatever. Right. But my mileage is basically the same. So, like, if you're a business owner, you know, you could say, hey, the only time I'm going to track the mileage outside of just like my weekly, if something changes or whatever, is just when I go to like a one off. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same all the time. And I have proof because I'm there and blah, blah, blah. Cool. The question I have though is when you, when you talk about keeping good records, let's say, for example, I order a laptop for work on, Amazon, right? Amazon has my receipt right there. It's a laptop. It was shipped to me. The laptop's in my office. Is that considered a good record? Like, is that, is that yeah, enough? Great. That's I, just, 
I just print it out in case the Amazon's down the day they they come to ask about it, if they ask about it at all. Okay. So, yeah, and that's a that's what we call a section 179 deduction. All that means in English is, hey, you're allowed a certain amount of stuff that you don't have to depreciate. You can take it all at once. That number yeah. used to be really high as how people with really successful businesses can go buy Suburbans or Escalades and write them off 100% <laughs> rather yeah. than depreciating them over time. So yeah, I would just keep it out like maybe an accordion file or yeah. something. So you do have some physical stuff. And if you're successful, I highly recommend getting a bookkeeper. Meaning yeah. once you're beyond the stage where you're profitable, even if you got a local accounting kid to come in, the last thing that I would recommend a business owner do is be going in trying to enter their own stuff into QuickBooks. And look, we do bookkeeping, but I'm not saying that self-serving. I'm saying it because when I was new in business before I knew it, because I was running a business while I was going to school to be a CPA and a certified financial planner. And I remember having the proverbial Nordstrom bag of receipts. I mean, it was literally a Nordstrom bag of receipts Bookkeeper took a look at it and it was just causing me anxiety. You know, like I just kept staring at it. I was just like, all right, give me a week. I'll have it or, you know, I'll figure it out. And then I'll come back to you with any questions I had. She had about 12 questions. Hey, I couldn't figure out what this was. Couldn't figure out what this was. Couldn't figure out what this was. And, and answered her questions. A week later, she's like, here you go. You're ready for your taxes. And I was like, what arcane sorcery just happened here? cost me, you know, this was a while ago, but it cost me a couple hundred bucks and all that weight was off my shoulder. And, nice, the reason, nice. and the reason that you want to do this is because if we have no idea what your business is doing, from a CFO standpoint, we don't know what you're doing that's profitable and what's not. So in other words, if you're like a normal entrepreneur, like all of us, when we got started, you have no idea, hey, if the, and we'll use, I'm just going to make stuff up for your business. We have no idea if the supplement line is crushing it or the coaching is crushing it. We might have a vague idea, but we don't really know. And you can go in and be like, you know what? This piece of business that we're doing here isn't even worth my time. Let's just kill this. But then the flip side, and this loops back around to the original question, which is how do you get started on this? Which is after at a time that isn't tax season, you want to sit down with your tax professional with your books here to date and get a this is the top your fancy SAT word for the day. You want to get a pro forma. And that's just fancy tax speak for a dummy return. So you can see projected out where you're at. What bracket are you going to end up on? How much are you going to owe? Because now we can use that to make decisions going forward. Right. So if you're if you're in chaos, which again, it's where we all start. One of my favorite sayings is success gets cooked in a messy kitchen. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but once you begin to stabilize ever so slightly, then you do want to pay attention to this piece. Don't spend a lot of time on it, but enough so that as you get down to the end of the year, if you know you're going to be jumping up in the 32, 35, 37% bracket. And you know that now we can, we can plan accordingly. Do we not bill customers? You know, let everybody have an extra month in December, particularly if it's a one-off. 
right? Like we have a couple pharmacy clients that got all this extra money for COVID. So we're doing all kinds of crazy stuff that we wouldn't do normally because we knew, hey, their 400,000 was going to a million because of $600,000 of extra COVID money. Mm-hmm. So we could push money into the future years. You can prepay up to one year of all your expenses. So you can actually write a check. Now we're getting down to deductions, right? So you can actually write a check for the upcoming year on like December 30th or 31st, mail it for your lease, let's say, mail it to your landlord. You're probably going to want to let them know it's coming. They won't cash it until January. So they get all the income right up front for the year, but you still get it deducted in the current year. Now, we don't want to do that if your business is trending upward and we're going to go even more taxes in the following year. But on right. those years where we have like a spike or something, there's lots of things that we can do if we have the information to do it and make those decisions going forward. So again, just like you want to keep track of your other numbers, this is a number, a, a, you know, KPI, a metric that you want to be paying attention to. You just, you only have to look at it once a month or once a quarter to really save yourself a lot of money. Got it. Makes sense. You mentioned write-offs and I know a lot of people are probably waiting on bated breath about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too bad. Can't tell you guys. So sorry. We're out of time. (laughs) Hey, we'll be back next week with write-offs. Yeah. So I'll keep it, I'll keep it sexy though, for our listeners, you know, what are, cause I think a lot of us know the general write-offs, you know, you mentioned the mileage, you know, we talked about the laptops and, you know, the fun, you know, maybe dinners with your team and all that cool stuff. Right. Got it. All, all that's cool. What are some of the things that most guys miss for people? I should say miss and write-offs. What are some <laughs> of the things that we miss out on? So one of the biggest ones is when you have an S-corp, you cannot just take a home office deduction the way that a sole proprietor would. You want to set something up called an accountability plan. So, and let me explain the math on this. First of all, there's something called the Augusta rule. And I think I'm not a golfer, but I think Augusta is like coming up this week, right? This weekend. Yeah, it's this weekend. Yeah. Okay. So they actually made a tax rule that said for the guys at Augusta, it's called the Augusta rule because those guys, you know, fairly wealthy, big donors to both parties, probably. Um, They would rent their houses out while the golf tournament was there. And they went to Congress like, why do we have to pay tax on this money? So Congress went and made an exemption that said you can rent your home up to 14 days in a year. And you don't have to pay any tax on it as as long as it's fair market value. So you can either like leave town and actually physically rent your house out. Or you can turn around and you can rent it for your corporation can rent it for retreat or training or something like that. That's the Augusta rule. And the, and the catch is it just has to be fair market value. So if we know your house in, in Virginia there rents for $600 a night, if an Airbnb, you can't rent it to your corporation, Josiah, for $2,000 a night. If the IRS audits that, they're going to not be happy. You know, and they'll probably let you have the 600, might even let you have seven. They're not going to let you have the 2000. Same as, same as you can pay your kids, right? If they're under 18, it's a little, the rules are a little tricky and probably outside of our conversation for today on an escort. But if you're sole proprietorship, you just pay them, you pay them as wages. You don't owe them FICA, BICA, MICA, FUTA, CHUTA, BUTA, MUTA, SUTA, all the self-employment taxes, 
as long as it's wages to a sole proprietorship or a partnership owned by both parents. If it's an S corp, yeah. just have to take one extra step. It's just a little convoluted. But now we can income shift up to thirteen thousand a year over to the kids' names, and it's at zero tax return, and it might be coming off your return at forty percent between state and federal. Well, if we shift ten thousand dollars legitimately, we just yep. save four thousand, you know, for sideways move. But again, you have to pay them reasonable compensation for a reasonable job. And um, again, you can go towards the high end of that, but it can't be $500 an hour to take out your trash, right? <laughs> but parents, Wait a parents second. That. They're like, well, you know, and look. Well, I, if you're in Orange County, though, that might be reasonable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, right? And, and, and look, I know all across America, there are dads who employ their son-in-law's you know, to keep their daughters happy and overpay them in a corner office. And they, they're like, just don't do anything. You know, <laughs> you're worthless. Sit but there I'm be quiet. Be happy. Just sit there. Yeah. By the way, my son-in-law, I just got to say this for the record. My son-in-law is awesome, actually does work for me and he crushes it. But, awesome. uh, and I don't, well, technically I don't want my daughter back. Love her. But yeah, sorry, she's yours. Well, true story, you know, my, I have two little boys. They're eight, well, eight and soon to be seven. Uh, he'll be seven in a month. And uh, they're so into working for me right now. I don't pay them yet. We're going to talk about this because we're, we're working on stuff, but I paid them, you know, I pay them in, in, in different forms and like a little bit of cash, a little bit of Robux. Love. Like, <laughs> you get paid in yeah, love. In love. Yeah. But and they Lincoln. love filming and creating TikTok videos with me. Right. And since I post two or three a day on TikTok, that's a real job, right? They actually have to spend a few hours helping me with that. And then obviously being in videos and some of the videos we do uh, and being in photos and it takes real time and it's, it's not easy. Like they actually have to do things. Right. And so, you know, that's, it's just a good point for other business. Like I can teach my kids business and I don't know if they're old enough to get paid yet, but I, I do know that. They are. Just seeing so you know, that the IRS at six years old, will let them get paid. And Amazing. Under, you can use them as models and pay them an appropriate modeling rate. Exactly. But, yeah. For our TT kids line. Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you, by the way, let me give you one other thing to think about for all you parents listening to this. I'll give you two parenting tips. One has to do with taxes. One doesn't. But we didn't come from money. Like my family did not come. We were not poor, but we were lower. We were like used Pinto poor. So our family car growing up was a Pinto. If you guys don't know what that is, go look yeah. it up. Let's just say it's not the car you buy when you're flush with cash. And, and the one that my parents used to drive had the exploding gas tank. So if they got rear-ended a certain way, the whole car would blow up. Well, guess where I traveled? There was no seat belts. There was no seat. They just throw the, the, the seats down in the back and I just lay in the hatch back there. And then only later <laughs> did we find out like, damn, mom, you could have killed me. But so I liked my kids working for the family business because I wanted them to see there's a direct connection between this work and the food that goes on your table. Now, by the time they were growing up, we were in a really nice upper middle-class neighborhood where I don't know that a lot of my neighbors taught their kids those same values. Some did, but a lot didn't. So I'm, as having my kids as adults, they all work really hard. And I, you know, I feel like I had a hand in that by 
by using a tax strategy, but also wanting them to turn around and be like, yeah, man, we don't get these newsletters out. It's going to hurt our sales next month. And you know what? We're not going to be able to take that trip. So I think just by what you're doing with your kids, by letting them learn that, first of all, time you spend with your kids, of course, is amazing, but particularly time not playing necessarily, that's important, but also, hey, we have a business here. This is what this is what pays for your vacation down to Orlando, guys. So that little rant aside, here's another huge thing that people miss. So paying your kids is a big deal. And again, the IRS, not me, the IRS is like, hey, if they're six years old, you know, they can perform functions that are age appropriate. And by the way, if any of you guys doubt that listening to this, if you have an immigrant owned donut shop or dry cleaner or restaurant, go there on the weekend or in summer and you will see an eight-year-old or seven-year-old kid behind the counter ringing stuff up, you know, and they put those kids to work, man. And so, and it's, and they're better for it, I think. So that's another area on an escort. As we got started before we went off, I went off on another tangent. Accountability plan is a huge one. So write that down. Everybody listening to that, write that down. If you do not have an accountability plan, you're, you're, that's one of the biggest tells of whether your, your person's looking out for you or not. What you have to do is basically if you rent your home office, you are allowed, first of all, the IRS allows you to have two offices. So you could like, I have a visit, I'm in my office, in an office building. Dude, you would love this building. It's half a block from the beach. We got a full CrossFit gym here. We got showers, like it's nice. And then I have an office in my house. You can do administrative work here. I meet clients here, all that stuff. But if you rent from yourself, you're not helping yourself out because the rent that you, Josiah and Michelle receive over here, you have to report as income if it goes beyond the 14 days. So yes, you get the deduction over on the one hand, but you have to pay it over on the other hand. Whereas with an accountability plan, you're setting up a plan to reimburse you, Josiah, the employee for the use of Josiah and Michelle's house for the true transformation business. And yeah. now you can write those checks deductible to the business, not taxable to Josiah and Michelle's household. So yeah. that's a big tell right there. If you don't have one of those, like I said, that's the, the area that you're like, okay, you know, I need to either reestablish a relationship with my person like that goes beyond just the compliance piece. Mm-hmm. You know, where you square up with the government, who owes who what, which is we're in right now, it's called tax season, and go to a planning relationship, or you just need to, you know, find someone who will who will do that. And of course, it's going to cost more money. But on the flip side is, if they're doing the job right, they're going to save you way more than they ever cost you. You know, and that's number one, that's my number one you know, metric of whether someone should become a client or not. Cause I'll tell people like, man, you got 90% of this covered. Your guy missed this. Your guy missed that. Take it back to them. Tell them you want to implement these things. They're really doing a good job. And if they retire or they quit and you get turned over to a junior partner and you don't love them, come back to us. You know, we'd love to work with you, but we're not yet bringing value. I say that not that often because most of the time I'm like, whoa, we're missing this. We're missing this. We're missing this. We're missing this. Like, hey, man, if you want to try and work it out, we can create a tax plan for you. We'll charge you for it. 
And then you can just take it back to them to implement, or we can take over the compliance. But if you're, that's one tell that everybody on this call that has an escort or anybody that has kids, if your person hasn't suggested, hey, are the kids helping out? Mm. Then they're not helping you. If you have an S-Corp and they haven't told you about an accountability plan, then they're not helping you. And if you're a W-2 employee and they're not like, why don't you have a side hustle? Look at all the money you're giving them. And then we move into another area that people don't write off enough or pay attention to is the joy of having a business is that you can kind of travel wherever and often tie it enough to business that it's a legitimate business expense there. So mm -hmm. again... You know, I'm going to, I just got up to Santa Cruz to see my daughter, the barefoot, vegan, hippie love child. So definitely, if she didn't look just like us, just I would be like, you're nice and you don't like me. We brought the wrong baby home from the hospital. You're adopted. But she looked just <laughs> like us. Like, ah, we don't know what happened here, but you're definitely ours. But ah, I don't know, man. So anyway, so while I'm up there, we talked some business. Um, I arranged to meet a client and I went and toured Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz, because it was right there. And my business, I have a college division. So now the visit to see my daughter, which is what I was going there for, I was able to tie to business enough that allowed me to write off the airfare, write off. I didn't have a hotel because I stayed with them, but write off the meals and all those sorts of things. So that's another area in business where you want to look for ways to tie what you're doing. And that is literally the joy of starting a business. If you don't have one, even if it's a small one is not to spend a bunch of money, but to be able to write off money. We're already spending legally and legitimately. Um, so I those second are the that areas sure. that I would look at. The trip one is huge. I've, I've utilized that one now more and more because you know, I have clients in every state. Uh, I also have a wife who works for me uh, technically um, and is also a business partner in another venture. And, uh, you know, everywhere we go now, you know, at least when we go on our couples, you know, we can get aways or if we, even if we take the kids, right. I'm looking for reasons to call it a business trip and I'm proactively doing it. Right. I'm saying, Hey, we're going to meet these clients. We're going to film these videos here. We're going to do these educational things in the morning on camera, everything I can possibly squeeze into what would already be a trip we're taking. Bingo. The trip. But I'm just, Yes, I'm already doing it. Like the trip to LA I did, right? We, we traveled to Orange County. We did a very, a whole day podcast, right? Then the next day we met up with clients. And then it was like, it ended up being a really fun trip. And I was like, man, 80% of the time we were there was business stuff we were doing, right? Just well, just because it's fun, right? It's yeah, fun. But we did, do stuff we did work. you love, which is kind of the important, you know, if you could find a business sure. that you actually enjoy, you know, and I don't know, I was probably dropped on my head as a kid, which is why I enjoy talking about taxes and tax planning. But I mean, I genuinely like enjoy it. Now, the compliance part, don't love quite as much. So I have a team that does that portion and then I review it. But I like the strategy and the, I don't want to say chicanery because that implies deception, but the strategy of trying to go in and be like, okay, you've got a problem that's X. How do I drop it down to Y? legally and what can we do to document it so that you're audit ready so if they ever do come and ask because that's the other thing we kind of insist on is we want every one of our clients to audit ready while we're doing this that may take us a year or two to get there 
because sure. habits get them tracking their mileage. But we're like, hey, man, if the IRS were to call tomorrow, we don't have to prep anything. The prep's done so you can sleep good at night knowing, yeah, I made you work a little bit harder getting all this stuff together. But if they call, we can, we've got it. And I, I don't, you know how the dog always bites, you know, hundred dog can be sitting on the porch and a hundred people can be walking back and forth and the dog just sits there. And then the one person goes by on the other side of the street that's scared of dogs. And next thing you know, the dog's off the porch, chomping their ankle. I kind of feel like, you know, when we send in the returns, if they can sense if we're scared or not, and if we're not scared, they're not going to audit. <laughs> I, I don't know if it works. But, I, but I'm sticking to it for now. <laughs> I, I I like I like that. I'm I'm big on the uh, the laws of the universe. So I do think the power of attraction, the law of attraction, right? So if I send off my audit with, dude, I'm good. I got Ron in my corner. We do all the things by by you know by the legal book right? according to the the we just tax use code. Every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. we're good. We're good. And, and if I dig it on it, it'll be the easiest audit in the world because it's it's already taken yep. care of, right? I'm and, not going to jail. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And really understand again, they're there to, to if they figure like, okay, this person's records are tight. There's nothing really to be done here. It's a legitimate business. Like they're gonna be out. They got other people to do because the I just like you know, the police will all say, Oh, there's no speeding ticket quotas. It's like right. So what's your sure. quota? You know, and two <laughs> beers in, they're like, Yeah, man, if I don't write this many tickets in a day, my supervisor gets really upset. You know, so same with the it's the same with the IRS. If they're closing, if they're wasting a bunch of time on audits that have no change, you know, so if they're if your records are tight, they're gonna pretty much be in and out. And like, and again, assuming it's not just a paper audit in the first place. So yeah. let me think for a second, if there's anything huge, home office, huge one, travel, huge, kids, huge, yeah. stuff, huge, year-end stuff. If you know your numbers, we always, you know, we always go over a checklist with all of our clients at the end of the year. Hey, let's see where you're at. Oh, one final concept that I wanted to explain. I, I don't know how long this goes. So we're good. We're good. So let me give you guys one last thing to think about, because this I'm a little bit of a contrarian on. I am not a huge fan of loading up set plans and retirement plans and all sorts of things. Now, there's a time and a place for this, but let me explain to you why. Historically, if you go back and look at what our government has done, and my ancestors came from Scotland, Josiah, in 1921. Mm -hmm. So 1920, 21, right over there. Actually, if you ever drive by the Star of India, one of my, like my great, 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 great grandfather built that. Trust me, there was no family money, but his name's actually on the plaque there. My grandfather mm -hmm. told me that like right before he died. I had no idea. But anyway, we came over in 1921. And so the IRS only got started in 1913. So the country's been around, the IRS hasn't even been here half the time that the country's been in existence. And they started with a 1% tax on everybody that made up to $20,000. And that's not an inflation adjusted number. That's the number back then. It really was sold as we're going to tax the rich to create some revenue, you know, and for the first few years, it was like 1% and the top tax rate was 7% for three years. And remember, we had had a harbor battle where a bunch of tea got thrown into the harbor in Boston. 
And the people, Congress, who started this were probably afraid they were, you know, like, how are the people going to react? Are we going to get thrown out of office? Are we going to get shot? Sure. After a few years, they raised taxes to 15% and then like 67% and 77% by like 1918, 1919. They're like, <laughs> nobody shot us. Let's go, boys. Let's keep pushing. So, but during World War II, the tax rate for the 10 years prior, the entry-level tax rate had been 4%. So meaning, again, your average American that wasn't rich, wasn't poor, was bringing home money, keeping 96% of it minus whatever their state took, the government got 4%. But during World War II, they raised taxes on the rich up to 94% of every dollar that you brought in. And they kept it there for a long time. The top rate was higher than 60% all the way up until 1982, which was the first time it dropped to 50%. Well, when they raised the top tax rate, to 94% on the riches, what do you think they do to the poors? They jacked their rate to 23%. Mm-hmm. And it stayed at 20 and 19 for a long time, 50s, 60s, into the 70s. And then it only has gone down to 10% for people making up to $20,000 if they're married since 2001. So again, we started at 1% on your first 20,000, and now 100 plus years later, we're at 10% on your first 20,000. And again, people make a lot more than 20,000, right? Because of inflation. So this goes, this is something to think about, which is what is the tax rate that you're comfortable with? Doesn't mean you have to like it. But this is what I call your personal tax meridian. And I get it from the idea when my daughter, and I went to visit my daughter and son-in-law in London, where they live, we went over to the Royal Greenwich Observatory, where they have the actual Greenwich Mean Time clock on the wall. By the way, if any of you guys go to London, it's, it's really a cool place because you have this beautiful view yeah. of London. And then you can stand on the meridian where one of you is in the Western Hemisphere and one of you is in the Eastern Hemisphere. So, and I have a photo of me on one side of my daughter on the other. So the idea is you don't have to like it paying the tax because nobody does. But what is the number that you're willing to accept? And then you can also, as kind of your overarching strategy, make decisions accordingly. My number is 24%. I got it because, which is federal, and then we got a stack state on top of it. So you can net out 340,000 if you're married and still only pay 24%. And again, I say only, you know, not as a joke, but compared to then it jumps to 32%. Now here's where I came up with that number from personally. Knowing that on the poorest Americans, they raised taxes to 23%. And for many years, we were at the 20%. I don't intend on being in a lower tax bracket when I retire. And a lot of you that are successful won't be in a lower tax bracket. I are, like I said at the beginning, it's one of the biggest myths. So my point is, Josiah, any year that I can pay after all my deductions, 24% or less, I am not going to postpone paying taxes via set plan, via an IRA. And by the way, for some of our clients, we can go way above what they tell you because you can stack plans. Sure. And I got I keep a guy around Ed 
who does nothing but show all my clients who cross their meridian how to bring it back down as close as possible. But the reason that I won't postpone taxes via set plan until I cross that line is I know what the government's capable of. And I know they raised in a time of crisis, they raised taxes up to 23%. So I'm like, I might as well get it over with. And then I'm going to park my money in places that are ideally tax-free up to that amount. And so it's just something to think about because if you stack all your money in a business in a set plan, which is the traditional logic, right? Let's get you a solo K, let's do a step, set plan. You could put a cash balance plan on top of it, which lets you put even more away. And I see owners doing this, but here's the problem. Number one, if you need the capital, you have a very hard time getting at it because now you pay that tax and you pay the penalties and you risk it of dropping in value because of the market. Number two is, our government's $32 trillion in debt. We were only $1 trillion in debt in 1982. We were $5 trillion in 2000 and we're $32 trillion. So it took us you know, 200 plus years as a country to get to $1 trillion. It took us another 18 years to get to $5 trillion, And then it took us 23 years to get from there to get to $32 trillion. So that means in another 20 years, we're likely to be at over $100 trillion. That money has to come from somewhere. Sure. And the easiest place to go get it is to jack taxes on your 401ks and set plans. So just a little something to think about. And I'll give sure. you one, one last thing. If you have questions, happy to answer them. But to give you some idea of what a trillion dollars actually is, because it's just like numbers, right? It's like mm -hmm. so mind boggling. So the next time Congress is like, well, this is a $1.7 trillion bill, or somebody's like, oh, this is going to throw off our debt by $2 trillion. Let me give you an example of what a trillion dollars is. If you spent a dollar a second, so like one, two, three, four, in a day, you would spend $86,400 because there's 86,400 seconds. They use that, you know, in time management seminars, like everybody, you could be the richest man, you could be Elon Musk, and he has the same number of seconds that you have in a day. <laughs> you are a loser because you're not using them effectively. But let's think in terms of money. In a year, you would spend 31 and a half million at that rate. So again, a dollar a second. And the time we've been on the podcast, I don't know, we spent a lot of dollars. How far back do you think you would have to go to spend $1 trillion? Not five, not 32, oh, 33. Take a wild guess. And I'm going to help you out right up front. No one's ever gotten this, ever. How far back do you think you have to go? Uh, this is a terrible guess, but I would say uh, well before Christ. <laughs> Exactly 29,000 years before Christ to spend $1 trillion. That's absurd. So at the overall, and by the way, just the Supreme Court ruled, the judge's name was Justice Learned Hand. He wrote the majority opinion. They ruled back decades ago that there was nothing wrong with trying to arrange your affairs in such a way so as to pay the least amount of taxes. And he went one step further and goes, nor would it even be deemed unpatriotic 
for a taxpayer to want to keep the fruits of their labor for themselves and their family as much as possible. He said something like that. So the whole idea here of, of this conversation is really as, as business owners, for those of you that are, but really for anybody, we, we talked about knowing the difference between marginal and effective rates. So that's a homework item for every single one of you guys, whether you have a business or not, is go check that. It should be in your taxes. Then reach out to your accountant after tax season. They probably don't want to talk to you for the remaining two weeks or however long it is once this gets posted. But once tax season is over, chat with them. If they're not helpful, find someone. Reach out to us. We're happy to chat with you. Um, but we like to get, we'll go over line by line, show you what they're doing right, show you what they're doing wrong. You want that sort of relationship. And we, we, and I can speak to the others that do kind of more of the tax planning. We all tend to play really fair because there's so many accountants that are missing tons of stuff because it's just not what they do. They're focused on the compliance side, not the planning side that, you know, it's real easy for us to pass on someone like, eh, it's not going to save you that much. You don't need my help right now. But really get a handle on this, which also means keeping tight records, taking every deduction legally possible, not being afraid of the audit. Again, because you're taking what they're allowing. And um, and then if you do get in trouble or, you know, if you have, haven't filed taxes in years, because we see a lot of entrepreneurs that do that, that just froze and haven't done anything if you want to chat, we got a division that handles that and stuff, but get a handle on that. And that will be worth, like I said, it will be your number one expense if you're successful, even more so than your kids who will eventually, yeah, college is really expensive, but it ends, hopefully, you know, for your kids. And it finally, the last one went off the payroll a year ago when she graduated at Berkeley. So I don't know, man, any other questions or thoughts or anything you want to do? Like I said, I have no idea. How yeah. To I read all your emails, but I don't know how long your podcast goes. So <laughs> it goes as long as we possibly can. No, this is this is great. Uh, you know, I think I speak for a lot of the business owners, young, younger, or even you know some seasoned guys who just never feel like they got their heads around this stuff. You know, I think the biggest fear is, you know, oh, taxes is like a gateway to being in all sorts of trouble, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Right? Nope, it doesn't have not to at be all. that way at all. I think there's the a rule. Yeah. Like, you know, hear these horror stories about, you know, people going to jail. I, I think the, the thing is just don't do stupid stuff. Right. It's like, don't, don't lie. Like crazy lies. Don't, don't create fake stuff. You know, just do gotcha. use the rule book for your advantage, right? Play the game to your advantage. It's not built for you to, you know, for to suck money out of you. It's really built for you to save a ton of money. Which is, is which is a, a nice thought, you know, around, like I said, you know, shifting our mindset away from taxes and talking about wealth creation. That's really the whole, the whole game. And let me just interject one thing. If you understand the mentality of the government, which is, yes, they want you to pay your taxes. But when you are a business owner, they want your business to be successful. So they're willing to give you lots of breaks because your business can only grow so far before you're buying more stuff and for all of elizabeth warren with her screechy voice and shaking her little fist about the riches you know not they're not paying their fair share um look they take it her and her husband i guarantee if we looked at her tax returns they're taking you know care that's that's performance that's pandering to her base she's taking advantage of all of this all of them are 
Yeah. And so, and they wrote that partially self-serving so they could take advantage of rules. I guarantee you Bernie's taking deductions on his three houses and oh, yeah. his, uh, what he had that $150,000 Audi. I guarantee you he's writing it off. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you are creating jobs, you are taking people off the government teeth, particularly if they're unemployed, and likely you're buying a bigger house, which means you're paying more in a tax base. You're probably rotating your cars more often. You're traveling. You're buying laptops. All the things that stimulate the economy. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, when you think about it and go, hey, you can only grow so far before you have to hire an assistant. Right. You can only grow so far before you really should get a bookkeeper and really, you know, and really should be spending money on advertising all the things that make the wheels of the economy go. So for all the commies in government who talk about that and would love to control every aspect of our life, if they could, at the end of the day, they, I think they know it's not going to happen. So that's my little rant there at the end. So understanding all we're doing is taking legal advantage of what they allow us to do, but those rules change a lot. And nobody goes to jail. In all my years, I had one client approach me on his way to jail for the college business. And I mean, what he did was a mistake, but it was egregious. Mm. It was absolutely egregious. And even then he wouldn't have gone to jail. <laughs> Except his, his, his lawyer, he showed up at the meeting with a tax attorney and the attorney popped off and insulted the IRS guy. And the IRS guy was just like, F me? No, actually, <laughs> it's like, because we're done. I'm handing this over to the criminal division oh, and um, they can take care of it. But what this client did, who was a really nice guy, and again, he wasn't a client when this happened. I want to be real clear here. We had nothing to do with this. His guy died. Mm -hmm. And so what he did was, he waited three years and then panicked and filed all his returns at once, just copied what the guy did. Well, he was working for a corporation that was reimbursing all his expenses. So he had $50,000, $60,000 of write-offs he was taking to his own corporation that he was getting reimbursed by the W-2 job that he worked for. And that they count that fraud. Now, you do a mistake or two, they're not, they're not going to have a problem with it. They'll be like, hey, what do you do here? You do 50, 60,000 for three years yeah. and, and you mouth off to the IRS person, you might have a problem. You don't, you don't report income and they catch it. You got a problem. Yeah. You, you take some deductions that the documentation wasn't perfect. You, you're not going to jail. And likely if your other stuff's tight, they're going to let you keep it anyways. Or they may slap their hand and be like, you know what? Look, man, I got it. I, you know, I got to take, this is like getting a ticket in a third world country. You know, you got to pay something if the guy pulls you over for his overhead. So you got to pay a little bit. The guy, they go away, you're done. And you come away relatively unscathed. So just this has been super helpful, man. For today. This is great. This is awesome. Uh, where can people connect with you? What's the fastest way to get into your world, man? Um, so they can shoot me an email, ron at roncarothers.com. That goes to me. Um, if you want to chat, I'll probably just reroute it to a, if you have questions, I'll answer them there. Um, I have a person who monitors social media on Instagram. It's Ron O Carruthers. And we're working on getting rid of all of our fakes right now, but it hasn't happened yet. So I have like 10 imposter accounts on there. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get rid of them. 
But if you get a message in the middle of the night, Josiah, about your crypto strategy, that ain't me. Okay. Um, Dang it. I already signed up for all the crypto stuff. Dude, I'm sorry. By the way, funny story there. One of the fake accounts, one of the bots hit one of my buddies, Craig. And they're like, hello, Craig, how are you? Would you like to talk about your crypto strategy? And Craig is like, this ain't Ron. If it's Ron, what's my nickname? And the guy's like, I do not know, Perrine. Well, I won't say his last name. I guess I just did. So sorry, Craig. <laughs> but anyway, if you're listening to this, man, it's a great story. Because he's like, no, my nickname. Nobody in the last 20 years, is, except maybe his mom, has called him Craig because his nickname is Spanky. So we all call him Spanky. <laughs> so anyway, Spanky gets a shout out. Yeah, man. So, and then on Twitter, it's Ron Carruthers. Sorry, those handles don't line up, but it's Ron O Carruthers on Instagram, Ron Carruthers on Twitter. I've been a little quiet lately. That'll that'll fix now that we're that'll that'll end now that we're coming down to the end of tax season. Or just shoot me an email, Ron at Ron Carruthers. Spell yeah. my name right. You'll be right there. And if you have questions, reach out. Um, and on um, IG, we get a decent enough amount of spam. If we don't get back to you in a day or two, just bump bump that question because it is a full-time job trying to get through and, and weed it out 100 so, dude how appreciate you taking on? the time man this is epic tax law changes have me back on the people blow up josiah's email tell him you want ron back on we'll go over some more stuff and uh we'll do an advanced course sound good Please man do yes that would be right, and then i'm gonna actually check. have your course the uh the write-offs course that you did. Uh, oh, dude, I'm going to redo that. That's about three years out of date. So I'm going to go through and redo that. I'll let, I'll let your, your audience know when we're ready to re-record that because we did Beautiful. it. It was a lot of fun. And um, I think we're going to be doing like a five-day class in early May. So just hang out. We'll make sure to let you know all this stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate dude, it. Thanks for having Appreciate me. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. Say hit show for me and, and I'll track you down on the other. Sound good? Sounds great. That wraps up today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. And don't forget to check out ButcherBox. My kids are absolutely over the moon with these chicken nuggets. You can get chicken nuggets for a year plus 10% off your first box when you go to butcherbox.com forward slash true and use code true, T-R-U-E, at checkout. Go check them out. They're great friends of mine. And man, they have an incredible product. Excited for you to check out their meats and their nuggets and just make eating healthy that much more convenient. Until next time, life moves fast. Make it count. Talk to you soon. Peace.